its animation celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Well, the boy's kind of small. Matsy! But it doesn't show at all. Matsy! Cause he's always acting tall. Matsy! Matsy! Matsy is his name. That's me. And I'm Micah. Uh, on Animation Celery, we give each other cartoons to watch. And then the following week, we get back together, we discuss them and review them. Uh, this time we're talking about Super Strength! Raw. Yeah, Matsy's gonna look at One Punch Man! And I'm gonna look at an episode of The Flintstones. Guess who I'm talking about there? Yeah. Um, first off, Matsy's gonna tell us some things. Yeah, uh, we gotta open the advent calendar. Oh, yeah! Uh, I got my tease calendar. Okay. That, that Augie Doggy tea was kinda hairy. Uh, <laughs> let's see what I got this time. Mmm. Okay. This one says, Je suis Maté Matt. Oh, boy. Oh, I get it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see here. It says, If you're a pirate upon the high seas, and you have some holiday needs, you can steep such incredible teas. <laughs> oh, whoa. Oh, whoa. Uh, notes of triple scoop ice cream and orosite. That could be tasty. Wow. That I'll tea that. is a deep cut from a deep cut. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> That's what we're about. That's right. All right. Um, d did you want to open yours your, yeah, yeah. Yours now? Or Okay, go ahead. Yeah. My favorite number. Number nine. Let's open this door. All right. Ah. Got a... It's like a plastic bag with the Captain N, the Game Master logo on it. Hmm. So it's a blind bag? Well, let's... Oh, wait. What are these? <laughs> Holy crap. Um, they're King Hippo nipple pasties. Wow. Topical. Yeah. Uh, you know, for now, I'll wear them on top of the shirt, so... Uh, okay, all right. Won't... <laughs> Won't yeah. be the last time we talk about uh, nipples on this podcast. <laughs> Looking pretty good, I dare say. All yeah, right. All right. Yeah, all right. Um, great. Your King Hippo cosplay is coming along. Mm. You need a crown. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's see. News. Good news, everyone. Oh, yeah. Uh, the shady website that I stream my cartoons from got the English episodes of Viking School. Oh, right. Yeah. You mentioned that last time. Yeah. Uh, so previously on Animation Celery, uh, I found this new Disney cartoon called Viking School, which is produced by Cartoon Saloon, the people who made Wolf Walkers and uh, what was that thing called? Uh, Kulindach? Backwards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was excited about it, but all the episodes that I found were in Norwegian, so I couldn't right. uh, couldn't with it. Um, but now they've replaced all those with English ones. Okay. And by English, by English, I mean Scottish. <laughs> okay. Um, which I have to imagine is the intended, like, I, I, I have to imagine these were not recorded in American English, because as far as I can tell, this is not intended for the American market. Hmm. So I got to watch, I watched the hmm. first four episodes. I won't go too deep into them, um, but I'll, I'll give a brief look. Okay. So the concept of this show... 
is just what it sounds like. Viking school. It's uh, a school for would-be Vikings. Uh, focusing mainly on three characters. Uh, we have Eric Forkbeard. Hmm. Uh, he's now he's called Forkbeard, but that's just his family name because he's a kid and he does not have a beard. Okay. Uh, he he is the grandson of Olaf Forkbeard, who apparently was a great hero, but it spent the last few years of his life in disgrace. And Eric wants to carry on the family heroism. Hmm. So, OK. Uh, and then there's Arnie Weaverson's son. Yeah. And he is from a humble fishing village and his parents wanted a better life for him. And uh, the opportunity came along when he was offered a place in Viking school. But he doesn't know why he was offered a place in Viking school, because he has no Viking talents or desire to be a warrior. He mm. his passion is he wants to be a bard. Oh. So he spends his time drawing pictures of the goings on and imagining the great tales that he will tell. Not even a scald, a bard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the third in the main cast is Ilva, who was basically Cartoon Saloon saying, not enough people got to see Maeve, so let's do her again. Oh, okay. Uh, she, I mean, she's not as young as Maeve. She's a little older. I imagine she's kind of tweenish. Mm. Um, but she's got the same tremendous plume of red hair. Uh, she, I'm not really sure what her background is. They haven't really explained it, mm. um, except that she was raised by wolves. <laughs> and she is, she is very wolf-like in her mannerisms. You know, she has uh, really good tracking abilities and sense of smell. Um, she'll, she'll sit down on all fours or during the opening credits, there's a part where she's scratching her ear with her hind leg. Um, mm. she runs around on all fours sometimes and she's really enthusiastic and good at everything. Like she's, she's strong and fast and just really happy to be, uh, doing warrior stuff. Mm. Uh, other characters include their, their primary teacher, uh, Mr. Hammerson, who is, he's what you expect. He's like this, like, you know, outgoing, like, rah, all you are going to be great Vikings do this, blah, blah, blah. Um, Quickly, a second teacher is added, Miss Sinu. Um, mm. She's a little more easygoing. She has a different role. The headmistress, Ira, who is a former Valkyrie, and they haven't really explained why she is not still a Valkyrie. Like a mythological Valkyrie. I guess. Mm. But she, she rides around on a flying six-legged horse. Okay. Well, I guess uh, so. Yeah. Um, there's some other minor... Oh, um... The sort of antagonistic role is played by Doomhild, who is the daughter of King Ragnar, and she's the spoiled rich brat. Okay. You know, who doesn't who doesn't actually want to do anything and you know, and she's got a she's got a big, strong, doofy uh lackey whose name I'm not I haven't been able to catch. It's like Ak or Uck or Ek or something like that. Mm. And then there's some other students around whose names have not been mentioned yet, and they're not super important except just to fill out the class. Um, there's a there's a cook named Mr. Ladler, which is kind of neat. Mm. But um, yeah, mostly it's just these three getting into situations. Okay. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem to have a real overarching story like the best Disney cartoons do. Uh, it's more like adventure of the day kind of thing. At least not through four episodes. Well, yeah, uh, there's there's a hint of it. Like um, 
uh, Eric in, I think it's the third episode. He has a sword. He has Olaf Forkbeard's sword. Mm-hmm. And in that episode, a sky stone or meteorite falls from the sky. And his sword is apparently forged from a sky stone. And it has an attraction to this other sky stone and some uh, runes on it that glow blue when it's close to the sky stone. Hmm. And is it seems magnetic to me, but, you know, who knows? So that is... A plot point that's kind of lingering right now. Okay. Um, and I guess you know there is some some mileage that you can get from finding out about Il- uh, Ilva's past and uh, things like that. But they haven't gotten there yet. So far, it's just uh, kind of uh, set up. You know, like I said, like the first episode is about an obstacle course that they have to go through, and uh, the second one was it was I like the first three episodes. The reason that I watched the first three was because after I watched the first two, the first one was all about Arnie, and the second one was all about Ilva, and I thought, okay, is the third one going to be all about Eric? And it was. Mm. Uh, So then I thought, okay, now that we've set up the characters, what's the fourth episode going to be? And it was about uh, Arnie uh, talking his way accidentally into being the new chef because they were not happy with the herring gruel they were being served, and he has some skill at uh, cooking. Okay. And... And, you know, it, it, you know, it, it falls apart when uh, headmistress Ira's sister comes to visit and they go, oh, they got to put on a big, a big great banquet for the, the super, um, you know, important Valkyrie. And, you know, it, it all falls apart in various ways, like a cartoon does, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so it, that's kind of it. It's like, you know, you okay. get, you get the idea of what this cartoon is going to be. So. I guess they gloss it's, over what going a Viking is. <laughs> what being a Viking is? Well, it's like, yeah, it's, 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 I think that's like a verb to go a Viking. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not sure. But, um, uh, it's just kind of being a warrior. Although, oh, okay. like I said, bar, um, uh, Arnie wants to be a bard. Right. Uh, and, and in the first episode, it is established that there is a path for him to do that. So he gets to do that. Um, but yeah, it's 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 neat. Like it, like I said, it doesn't have the overarching story that the best Disney cartoons do, but it has some neat episodes. It's the art style is quite nice. I really like Ilva because, mm. um, you know, I really like Maeve and more right. of that is is quite welcome, even if she doesn't, as far as I can tell, turn into a wolf. Not yet. Um, not yet. Yeah. Not through four episodes. Um, she can certainly smell like a wolf. Mm. Um, and, and she mentions a few times, like, you know, she's, <laughs> there's, there's a bit where she's, there's this really sticky gruel that she gets into her mouth and then she can't get the spoon out. And at, afterwards she comments that she thought spoons were supposed to make eating easier. And there's yeah. another thing where she quips at one point, like civilization is weird because she's just used to being in the wilderness. Ah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's got bits of it's bits, bits of Scandinavian things like it has trolls in it. Trolls okay. are all over and trolls are rock creatures. So hints of Hilda there. Right. Um, getting your Scandinavia in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll probably like there's not that many episodes of it. I think I'll probably watch the rest. It looks cool. It's got that cartoon saloon art style that you know and love. Yeah. Uh, all like flat colors and big like e- Ilva's eyes are like big green circles. Flat um, backgrounds. 
Uh, to some extent, so yeah. Yeah, probably they abandoned that somewhat after doing their uh, their Celtic triptych. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it looks it, it looks good. It it looks really good. Um, feels like Viking stuff has been popular for a fair time now, like live action and cartoons. Um, maybe to some extent, yeah. Um, because I guess people really like that Thor movie, or at least they really like Loki in that Thor movie. Oh yeah, there's that. And there's How to Train Your Dragon, which is more Vikings, oh. more Scottish Vikings that don't do a lot of Viking. <laughs> um, right, right. Uh, let's see. There's like a couple different live action Viking series. Mm. One from Norway. It's pretty funny. Um, the the Norsemen, I think it's called. Oh, I think I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's uh excellent comic uh vinland saga hmm hmm well you know this is cartoon saloon doing what they like to do right uh disney giving them the uh the path to do it uh that's mostly what i saw although one other small thing i'll mention i mentioned a few several episodes ago a youtube channel that i like called bird right with just like stupid little animated shorts now Something, a regular feature on that channel is not animated. Uh, it's called Skunk Second, where it's a one-second video of a picture of a skunk and the guy going, skunk, in some way. You know, mm. just stupid, right? Yeah. Well, the most recent video posted on that channel is a, I think it's like 10 to 14 second long, I think it's like skunk season, skunk second the movie or something. Okay. Um... But like I said, really short, just a couple of skunks kind of fighting with each other. Mm. But it's animated by the people who did Tales of Eletherion. Ha, okay. So I was like, yeah, all right, neat. Yeah, I've checked out some of their other cartoons. They've done a lot of neat stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, so there, uh, watching a little bit of skunks and finally getting around to Viking school is all that I can think of off the top of my head. I feel like hmm. there might have been something else, but uh, that's good enough for now. I don't need to spend a long time on this. Uh, how about you? Okay, uh, I'll go in brief that um, I've watched some of Wednesday, the live action. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, live action spinoff of The Addams Family starring Wednesday Addams. Mm. Um, yeah, she commits an assault at her school. <laughs> uh -oh. In defense of Pugsley, she... Uh, uh, fills a swimming pool full of piranhas to get back at his bullies. Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, they they get her off uh, from any kind of severe punishment, but they send her to <laughs> um, Nevermore Academy, a school for misfits. Uh, huh, that sounds like, uh, that sounds like a reward for a Wednesday Adams. Yeah, but she's such a misfit that she's intent not fitting in there and plus also she doesn't want to follow in her mother's footsteps oh because uh, yeah morticia went there mm. and th she's got this thing you know this thing about not wanting to be groomed to be just like er she's kind of an outsider in her own family i guess too hmm um so i think you'll only see those adams in very small the, the rest of her family in very small bits especially since uh uh, Morticia's played by Catherine Zeta-Jones, so... <laughs> oh, wow, yeah, that's expensive. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Whoever plays Gomez Adams, like... Have you seen him? 
I, I've seen an, in, a pictures of him or, yeah, or yeah. little clips. I've seen the trailer or whatever. And I, I think I might have mentioned this before, or maybe it was when I was talking about the Addams Family animated movie. Yeah. But like, I remember seeing it and going, ugh, that's not filmed as Addams. <laughs> but then well, I thought about it. Yes. And I was like, actually, wait a minute. That's probably the most accurate live action Gomez there's ever been. <laughs> Probably, probably. Yeah. His, hair, his hair's a little thick, I think. It should be a little yeah. limber, but uh, yeah, yeah. Gomez shouldn't be all suave like uh, um, uh, Raul Julia. He should be kind of this weird um, ogre. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was thinking about the, the original one who played him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you spoke um, French. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, what is that guy's name? Uh, uh, John Aston. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, love John Aston, by the way. Oh, Good sure. Guy. Night yeah, Court. He's, he's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's. But I'm much better now. Yeah. And um, also the father of Sean Aston, who was Sam in the Lord of the Rings movies. Right, right. Yeah, this guy. I I can't. I don't know his name, but I've seen. You know, he's a very recognizable face. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> he's got the face for Gomez Adams. <laughs> right. Um. So, yeah, apart from Wednesday, the only Adams you're going to see much of is Thing, who they mm. kind of, like, leave behind in order to be her protector. Okay. Um, the thing is, the school... So, like, the Adams family sort of... Um, uh, how supernatural they are kind of varies a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, they sometimes do magic. They sometimes have monsters. Yeah, Thing is the craziest aspect yeah. of them, I guess. Um, but this... depending on the canon, like, cause you know, in the right. movie they had like books where it's like, you know, the tempest and you open it up and then a storm bursts out. Right. Right, right, right. Well, the school that she goes to has cliques. Actually, I guess it's kind of like being in Harry Potter. Right. So the cliques mm. are sort of like the houses. Okay. Um, and so one of them is like all vampires and one of them is all werewolves and another one's all sirens. Oh, I thought it was funny that the stoner clique are Medusas. Um, <laughs> All right. Yeah, but they're like multi-dimensionally stoners. <laughs> um, so there's like a mystery that she has to uncover. It's 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 it's. I guess it's a little bit like what if Wednesday Adams was Nancy Drew? Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm. I'm. That's amusing. That's an amusing yeah. concept. As like, concept, what do you, yeah, yeah, like taking the Adamses out of just because there's, you know, you can do oh the Adams family are weirdos in a normal world, but what else? Sure. And this is a path. Oh, oh, by the way, since I'm always debating whether something was directed by Tim Burton or not, this one says it is. So, oh, um, I didn't realize that. Yeah, uh, at least the first episode when I was hmm. paying attention to the credits. Um, one problem with doing these things, though, is you got very big shoes to fill. Mm. So, like, Catherine Zeta-Jones, for example, is nowhere near as good as Angelica Houston as mm. for Morticia, in my opinion. Yeah, people really hold that those two live-action Adams Family's movies in high regard. And yeah. they are good. But I think even comparing it to that TV series with Tim Curry as Gomez Adams, I don't like these ones as much. Hmm. So, eh. Like Wednesday okay. just seems like a bit of a drag to me, mostly. <laughs> yeah, Too much yeah. of an edge lord, letting everyone know how cool she is. Um, yeah. 
Just watch that animated one that I watched. It's good. Probably. Yeah, that's kind of the premise of our show anyway. Cartoons are better. <laughs> uh, you know what else is good, though? Is uh, role-playing games. Or at least uh, looking at them. Since me being a person in my 40s now, I don't play them as much as I look at them. Yeah. Um, so I looked at Sword World. Huh. So, what this thing is. Uh, this is one of the longest-running, most popular RPGs tabletop RPGs in Japan. Ah. Way back, there was a university gaming group called SNE for Syntax Error. And uh. they played their translation of Dungeons and & Dragons and had an original campaign on the cursed island of Lodos. You ever hear of Record of Lodos War? Mm, I don't think so. Um, It's a fairly famous anime. It's... Uh, it's very Dungeons and Dragonsy, that's for sure. Hmm. I'd heard all kinds of uh, coy interpretations of what it originally was, with a lot of insist- insistences like, "No, it wasn't Dungeons." Well, apparently it was. It was just <laughs> playing Dungeons. And this is a funny thing. Um, so this has been a long thing in Japan, where even though I don't think there's that big a tabletop role-playing game scene, mm-hmm. they have replay books, so like transcripts of games. Oh, so weird. Forget. Yeah, f- forget streams of, you know, Critical Role and other games now. Yeah, they've been having podcasts like, or whatever. Yeah, podcasts, they, they've been having like published books of not adventures, but people playing the adventures. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of interesting. I wouldn't mind reading one of those. Serious book culture to have those, though, sure. Like, yeah, yeah. I remember watching the Lotus War video way back. The first, the first one, uh, at the end, they had an extra, which had... Mm the debut of Lotus that they, they rented out a theater. And so they had fans that were just like waiting in a line and then the doors open and all these, all these guys are rushing in like, Oh, I'm going to see Lotus war. Right. <laughs> and at the time we laughed, we was like, what a bunch of nerds. But now <laughs> I think about it and think, what a bunch of nerds. Like these guys probably <laughs> bought all those replay books and stuff. And they're like, Oh boy, we can see when Deedlet does the thing, you know, <laughs> Um, so yeah, they, you know, after playing, after they ran that Dungeons and Dragons game, they adapted a new game for themselves called Sword World. And its first setting is Forcelia, the world with Lodos and Cristania and all these things that have been adapted into anime and light novels and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. like a lot of these Japanese role-playing games, it's based on D6s because, uh, polyhedrals weren't easy to come by. Okay. Um, I now this not translated fully. It's like fan translated. When when they were asked, would you ever translate this in English? And they the response has been like, I don't think there's enough demand. Um, right. And so the the fan translation is spotty in terms of like, well, just being complete. It's also yeah. not very easy to parse. So like, you know, get bits of information here and there. But there's some interesting things like. Way before 3rd edition Dungeons and Dragons, it had multi-classing like it, where it's just like you leveled up, so you just took a level in the class. Huh. Yeah. Um, it also has very broad saving throws, like fortitude and willpower, which is a little ahead of the game. Yeah. Um, as near as I can tell, the combat's kind of like Final Fantasy, traditional Final Fantasy, that is, where... Uh, 
it's abstracted into being like we're frontliners, we're back row, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, but <laughs> it's kind of funny. Owing to its um, advanced Dungeons and Dragons roots, there are matrices. So there's not like a matrix to see if you will hit. Instead, they've inverted it, and there's a matrix for your damage. Huh. So like, if you you progress sort of like a uh, a computer role playing game, uh, a JRPG, like your your stat keeps on going up and up. So really, you're rolling the dice to then compare to the table to see how much damage you dealt based on your hmm. rating. All right. I don't I don't know if that that might be like a first edition thing because this is actually up to two point five now. And I looked at hmm. some monsters, and they appear to just do, at least by the notation, it looks like you just roll some dice and add them up. But, no. um, let's see. Uh, they present like three different ways for making maps, but a <laughs> lot of them amount to being algorithms. Okay. Um, but it's kind of neat. Like one example I saw was it was a fully illustrated town map. But then it would have like circular magnifying glass looks at various parts in town and then routes connecting them. Like once you do this, these things are open and you could do this and so on. Right. Um, which seemed pretty good. Like it's a di different culture where uh, you're not really going over to someone's house to play these games necessarily. Not very often. Usually you like rent a space out. I, I read some some blogs and stuff, people saying that you might even rent a karaoke room to <laughs> just play your Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. Or your sword. Okay. Yeah, so maybe you get together once a month, and then you just pack it. You just, like, play for six hours, right? And complete yeah, yeah. the whole session. Um, and it's interesting that uh, Dungeons & Dragons over there, would, would like, different people had the rights to translate it, and then it sort okay. of died. So D&D was sort of semi-dead in Japan until 2012. Oh, weird. Yeah, yeah. Actually, one of the most popular role-playing games over there is Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. So you can you can buy your Call of Cthulhu replays. Um, <laughs> uh, but nowadays, see, it, the, it, the game isn't as translated as you like, but there's some compelling things about it. Like, one of them is that um, I've, I've thought long that most games like Dungeons & Dragons that have the wherewithal to have, like, accoutrements, you know, like uh, miniatures and the like, they should sell yeah. a complete gaming experience. It shouldn't be a book and then you buy some random miniatures or whatever. It should just be like a board game box, right? Okay. Well, Sword World kind of does that. And remarkably, it ends up being like under $30 Canadian for it. You're not getting wow. like miniatures. You're getting like standees, right? And then tokens yeah. and stuff. But still kind of neat that you get this whole experience. Yeah. Uh, one review I saw for one of them, it was, uh, the star it was a starter that was pen and paperless. So you just had like a, a little rectangle for your character, right? All right. And and then rather neatly, your equipment you just slot into the side of the character sheet like all the numbers and and rows would line up. So mm. my defense is on the right side, so I put my armor on the right side of my character sheet and then you can see my numbers, you know? Kind of okay, neat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Now it's, like there's a uh, board game called Super Dungeon Explorer that uh is sort of like playing Gauntlet, I guess. And they do mm. the same thing. I don't think it's a copy. I think it's just like a natural sort of design element yeah but anyway yeah um and and you know they you you have uh health and mana tokens um so from what i can gather looking at it 
I don't know that you would play this instead of Dungeons and Dragons necessarily, but it's simpler. I don't think it's like busted, you know, <laughs> like I don't understand why they did this kind of thing. Um, right. And as affordable as it is, if it were more accessible, I'd give it a try. Sure. Hmm. And it's got some different flavor stuff, right? Like, you know, some different classes. Like there's a, a fairy tamer class who essentially has a different magic list where they summon fairies to do stuff. <laughs> okay, so, cool. Yeah. Yeah, some neat stuff. Anyway, uh, yeah, Sword World. Um, hmm. Okay, but here's, here's the real meat of the matter for me for my news section this week. JoJo's. Of course it's JoJo's. It's back! Um, All right. Stone Ocean. They put the last part out, and I semi-paced myself, which is to say in three days I binged it. All right. That's, uh, that's a team. Well, no, that's actually pretty quick for you. For me, yeah, but I was having fun. So I, well, I, I eventually was having fun. So I, I, uh, <laughs> it oh. starts off, it starts off kind of rough. Um, the animation starts off not so great. The second episode is abysmal. Wow. Like I was having a tough time. <laughs> the proportions were all wacky, but the designs are such that it, you know, even even a good studio is going to have some trouble because they've tried to replicate Araki's uh, design peculiarities. So, like, mm -hmm. for example, especially on the shoulder, it's got, like, a serious love for the bones and sinews of the shoulder. So they're so detailed, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, like, a lot of muscles and stuff have the uh, hatched lines along the musculature. So, like I said, even if you're a good studio, you're going to be challenged to animate this. I really think they should have simplified more and then emphasized during, you know, the the key shots, you know, to, to uh, really embellish them. Right. Uh, but it picked up. I, episode four was looking pretty good. And then, you know, it, it, it really picked up on the quality. Um, the other thing that makes kind of a rough start is at the beginning... Uh, the challenge is the Sons of Dio. They've congregated. Like, fate and a natural attraction, like, a bond has drawn them all together. Funny enough, to the same hospital injured. Um, and, uh, 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 Pucci meets them there. And the thing about them is their stands are a little abstract, so it's a little hard to get into, like, you wonder, what are the rules of these guys' stands? Okay. Um, the first one, he had the ability to make uh, drawn characters come to life. So they would, okay. disappear, they would disappear from, like, their magazines, right, and appear. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Hmm. Yes. Pretty useful. And uh, you could be victimized by them because if you I particularly identified with the story, then you would become a character from it and suffer the fate of the character in it. Oh. So, like, Anasui... When uh, the, the, these first couple episodes mostly feature around the ma the masculine Joe Bros, um, mm. Anasui he uh, kind of identifies with a big bad wolf sort of character, <laughs> so he starts turning into that, and then he starts like the mother goat from the story starts cutting him with scissors, and yeah. Um, mm. Funny thing is, uh, uh, weather report, um, he has no memories. So all this means nothing to him. He doesn't, he can't even see these things because he doesn't know about any uh, childhood fables or anything, right? All right. But 
But as an adult, he appreciates Vincent van Gogh. So he, he sees, uh, like expressionistically painted Vincent van Gogh appear before him. And then mm. he starts to become like Vincent van Gogh and loses his ear and suffers gunshot wounds to the head. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and the, one of the weird things in this, like, so early on in Jojo's, the villains kind of have a bigger scope to the threat they have, you know, like, oh, well, vampires will take over the earth. That's pretty bad. Um, yeah. And then later on, sort of less so, even though you see stands are really powerful, you know, to what respect, you know, like, okay, so he can do this. It will protect him real nice, but, you know, whatever, right? Uh, but this one, it's hard to tell how wide ranging his stand works. Like, after all these these uh, theme park cartoon characters come out of the magazine, also on the uh, on the radio, it mentions that Batman has disappeared everywhere. Huh. So, like, I guess the implication is everybody with a Batman comic, Batman dis- has disappeared from all their pages. They're rather cheeky cool. about it, too. They have an instance where there are some people in the streets that point up and say, hey, look, it's Batman, but they don't show him. <laughs> <laughs> um. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil a fair amount of stuff here. Because for one, I think if you like JoJo's, you probably watched it by now. Because this is this is going to release 10 days after it. Um, and also, I think a lot of people will just like hearing about how weird this is. Okay. Um, so despite how I couldn't really get a grasp on what the logic was behind the way this stand works, I do like the solution for it. Uh, weather Report having a... Uh, having totally Van Gogh at this point and is going to die from gunshot wounds. He drew an original character so that it would come to life and have the powers to get rid of all the drawn characters. Ah, yeah. Pretty fun. Yeah. All Um, right. Gosh, what was, I remember hearing about a comic book or something mm -hmm. where there was a character whose superpower was that he has all the powers you least suspect. Huh. Okay. And so it's like anytime there's some something that requires of a, a really obtuse specific solution, he's able to do it. Huh. Sounds like a good stand ability. Yeah, yeah. Actually Maybe it was well no, it wouldn't have been Jojo's no, no. Bizarre Adventure. You'd know about it. Hey. Well, I don't know. I kept myself pretty ignorant to enjoy this. <laughs> um the Actually one thing I like about the Sons of Dio is that they are um as you might imagine, Dio's not a very good father. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all, all these guys had no idea who their father was. Um, and furthermore, they had stands. So all of them thought they were like haunted or insane. <laughs> until until they met Pucci and then Pucci could tell them like, no, this you've got this ability. This is how it works. Right. Um, right. Let's see. Uh, there's. There's one thing that came up in the thing in the in this final part. I don't know <laughs> if you're when you think of things as you're watching JoJo's and expect it to pan out, you're bound to be a little disappointed. <laughs> mm, okay. So there's one. There's there's a baby swap in oh. in a pa- in the past, right? Where oh. um, the woman has a stillbirth, and in her grief, she swaps the baby for one of a pair of twins. Okay. Um, and one of the, the, the twin that's not swapped is Poochie. Okay. Ah, okay. You've seen Poochie before, okay? Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So the one that got swapped out, he eventually gets persecuted under the belief that he is, uh, that his father is black. Okay. But he is as fair as it gets. He is totally pale and blue-eyed and fair-haired. <laughs> now, what I was expecting was Poochie to find out that, like, he, he, he finds out about the swap, but that his information was incorrect. That it wasn't swapped because of a stillbirth, it was swapped because of his biracial nature, and that he was actually the one that was swapped for the live baby. That would have made a lot of sense, but it never comes up. Mm. So, I don't know. I don't know. Um, anyway, things pick up steam. We get some real fun stuff as we get toward the end. Some things that didn't, del- once again, didn't deliver. I expected to see Dio again. Except for flashback and, you know, in people's minds, we don't really. Mm. Um, but things get crazy, and the ending blew me away. Boy, <laughs> if you want Bizarre Adventure, there is a character that escapes the end of the universe on the back of a dolphin. So... <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. kind of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, maybe it is. Yeah, yeah. But... They, they did do the re- universe reset. Um, and in some ways, they they bail out things, but in some ways not. Hmm. Like, I kind of, well, I kind of expected like, okay, everything is doomed, but Jolene finds a way and kind of not, you hmm. know, it's kind of, kind of up to someone else. But, um, and then they just, boy, I don't know. Like they, they, they leave you. The one character who does kind of come through it all is left to tears because he thinks that every touchstone he has in the universe is gone. Hmm. But here they kind of are. But how do you figure, how do you reckon with any of this that the universe has reset and that this is the same but kind of different? So, and that's the way they end it. And even funnier um, is that I've, now... They are for sure going to bring out Steel Ball Run, the next chapter. Okay. But the way people talked, they considered, like, maybe not. Because Studio David's going to be working on other stuff for a while. So, and they ended it in sort of a, a final kind of way. Like, you know, a sort of, like, thanks to you, all the fans sort of way. You know, here's, okay. here's our right. little victory lap kind of thing. Hmm. So, I don't know, but... It's uh, left me with stuff to think about, and it was a good time. So oh, good. Good, good, good. Anyway, uh, big spectacles. Maybe you have a big spectacle to talk about? Yeah, let's see. Anime based on a manga? What? All hmm. right. Um, One Punch Man. What is One Punch Man? Well, I'm watching the first episode, and that explains what One Punch Man is, so rather than give any kind of preamble, I'll just get into it. Hmm. Uh, We got the first episode, which is called The Strongest Man. Hmm. All right. We wanted super strength. Can't get much superer than that. And it starts out at an ordinary day in D-City, place I'd like to take Ilva to when she graduates. Uh... The buzz of urban life here is interrupted by a sudden explosion. There's a purple guy who looks kind of like Piccolo from Dragon Ball. And he just starts wreaking havoc on everything. There's some superheroes. I guess this is sort of 
this is kind of like the opposite of the tick in a way. Um, yeah. You got superheroes Smile Man and Lightning Max, who are dispatched, but when we see them, they're already dead. Mm. Um, but there's a bald guy watching television and just kind of decides, yeah, I guess I'll go. Then we see a young girl looking for her parents, and she's about to be squished by the hand of the purple aggressor when she's saved by this bald hero with lifeless eyes. Like, you imagine anime eyes? These yeah. aren't that. These are like just, you know, white ovals with black dots in them, like mm. a lot of American cartoons. And it looks weird on an anime character. Looks funny, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the monster explains that he is Vaccine Man. Oh, no. He was created by human pollution. He's going to eradicate the bacteria of human life that is infesting and infecting the Earth. The hero just says, eh, I do this as a hobby. And Vaccine Man is kind of unimpressed with this backstory. But the hero punches him and Vaccine Man explodes. And the hero is frustrated that it happened again. And then we see the credits. Apparently, this guy's name is One Punch Man. And uh, that name makes a lot of sense, given what we just saw. So the next part is three years earlier, where there's this completely ordinary businessman looking guy who is confronted by this weird thing that's <laughs> like human legs and underwear yeah. and a crab on top. Um, he explains that he ate too much crab and turned into this. His name is Crabrante. And he kind of guesses that this businessman is newly employed and already jaded and doesn't care if he's killed. But the man explains, no, he is unemployed. He's never had a job. He just came from a spectacularly unsuccessful job interview. He doesn't care. And so Crabrante decides to just let the guy be. He is looking for a big chinned brat. So this businessman just keeps wandering along until he spots this child with a ridiculously large chin. Like, like mm. his chin is a butt. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I was kind of looking at his head like, you know, his head sort of looks like a bad drawing of a penis almost. So you're um, saying his chin looks less like a butt. Uh, yeah. I, I Who knows what the author intended here. But anyway, mm. of course, this businessman looks at him like, oh, and he questions whether the boy met a crab monster. And the kid says he found a crab monster sleeping in the park and drew nipples on him. Hey, there's the nipples we were talking about earlier. Yeah. This man kind of ponders whether he should do anything and decides to leave. But when Crabrante shows up, this man can't help but intervene. See, when he was a child, he dreamed of being a hero so powerful he could defeat foes with one punch. And now is his chance. Although he can't defeat a crab with one punch at this point, he uses his tie to grab Crabrante by the eye stalk and rip the meat out of his shell. Oh. What a rush he gets from being a hero. <laughs> yeah. Well, Pretty gross, too. <laughs> yeah, that was graphic. Yeah. Um, yeah, he got a rush from being a hero then, but now we go to the present day. He's trained so hard that all his hair fell out, but he's just as powerful as he wanted to be. As he's shopping, a catastrophe strikes. There's a giant in D-City. This is Little Brother. And Big Brother is an ordinary man riding on his shoulder. See... The little brother dreamed of being the strongest man, 
and the Big Brother developed a serum that made this dream come true, which turned him into a Titan from Attack on Titan, kind of. Sure, yeah. A little bit. Now, Big Brother plans to use his brain and his brother's brawn to rule the world. But just like that, one punch man is on the shoulder. <laughs> Big Brother tells Little Brother to kill the man on his shoulder, but Little Brother accidentally hits the wrong shoulder and kills his Big Brother. He goes into a frenzy. He slams one punch man into the ground and starts pummeling him just into this crater. Without his brother, without something to be passionate about, he kind of questions what the point of being the strongest man is. And one punch man, who is unharmed, identifies with this. He delivers his punch and knocks little brother out. That evening, One Punch Man wonders about his humanity because he's just so emotionless. Like, he doesn't feel anything anymore. And he even yeah. keeps this inner monologue going as a car monster guy named Super, Super Custom Y0649Z Mark II shows up and explains his backstory, which is that he loves building custom cars so much that he turned himself into one. Hmm. Once the monologues are done... One Punch Man punches the car beast into rubble and heads home. Meh. Hmm. Uh, that morning, he is awakened by a monster punching him out of his house. It actually hurts him. These are subterraneans, the true earthlings who live beneath the surface. But they are overpopulating and have decided to eradicate humanity and take the surface for themselves. They've already killed off 70% of all humans. Wow! One Punch Man is actually feeling exhilarated. His eyes start to look like normal anime eyes again. As he begins to fight, he's punching these legions of monsters to death in a spectacular fight sequence. There's a lot going on. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and it all culminates in the gigantic subterranean king arising to battle for control of the earth. And this is what One Punch Man has been longing for. He's finally feeling the rush of, of, of excitement at an actual fight, he jumps in to start the fight, and his alarm clock goes off. It was a dream. Mm. And he's just kind of stunned. But, 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 but then he hears the subterranean king outside claiming the surface. <gasps> Except that this subterranean king is much smaller. And his minions are pathetic little creatures that can't even climb out of their holes properly. <laughs> so one punch man jumps down looking for the fight of his literal dreams, but he stomps on the subterranean king and the subterraneans all just leave with an apology retreat, uh, apology surrender flag and retreat. And uh, mm. one punch man is just kind of left unfulfilled again. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> I... I really like the idea of a superhero who is so powerful that it doesn't matter. Right. Well, you know what I kind of especially like is that um, that weighed against his super strength, all the villains, their origins, all the casualties and collateral damage, and even like the blindly named cities. Yeah. They're they're meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody goes on about, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I was made by the earth to eradicate all humans, you know, or I, my, we're brothers who are working hard to fulfill our dream. They don't matter. No. <laughs> One no, punch they, and they're done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all just, it's, 
it's so it's like like I said, I compared it to the tick where the tick is like, oh, yes, the city is full of these inane superheroes that are useless and almost as inane villains that are almost as useless. Um, Mm. And it turns out that the tick is the only one capable of actually saving the world. But you kind of wonder if they were to were really going to have been in any trouble anyway. This is like there's legitimate threats, but whatever they're just conquered and it doesn't matter nothing matters and that's kind of the point it's like ennui taken to its most extreme it's like you've fulfilled all of your dreams nothing hurts you nothing challenges you right. what is the point of going on there's there's a lot of talk that this is an analog for modern life mm. that modern life is too cushy like that so it means that young people are disaffected in the same way because they don't have you know, the same kind of challenges like war or whatever. Yeah. At yeah. least at least in the nations like Japan or America or Canada. Sure. Yeah. Um, um, I remember seeing I think I might have talked about this on the show once. I can't remember. But right. I, my only other experience with One Punch Man, aside from seeing the character and going, well, that looks goofy, uh, yeah. is that I saw a video review of a One Punch Man video game mm-hmm. um, <laughs> where. Yeah. I it was some kind of a fighting game, I think, or or maybe it was like a brawler where you get to pick a I think you pick like two heroes that you get to Mm. battle as and you can swap between them. And the the balancing mechanism was that you can select one punch man, but if you do, he's your partner. You don't get to play as him. He's the the other one. But instead of switching out. One Punch Man is hurrying to the scene and there's a timer and uh, yeah. it's just you you fight and fight and fight as the character that you are. And when that timer runs out, One Punch Man will show up and it just you just win. So hey. the goal is to just to survive as not One Punch Man until One Punch Man appears and victory is achieved. That's pretty clever. That's like I, the old uh, Superman problem with making a video game. Yeah. What do you do? <laughs> Ooh, that NES Superman game. Charming, but bad. Well, how about the N64 Superman Well, game? yeah, there's, yeah. I Basically, I, they're all bad. That's a punchline. I prefer to think about the NES one. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, One Punch you Man know, is interesting. What? That's a, you got something to say? It's got some interesting origins. Yeah, uh, go ahead. It was originally drawn as a webcomic oh. by someone with a pen name One. Hmm. Um. And it looked incredibly amateurish. <laughs> so probably uh, Saitama's, um, you know, vacant look is probably a holdover from the amateurish drawing of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was no denying the cleverness of the concept. Yeah. So then a professional manga artist, Yusuke Murata, who did a football manga called Aishul 21, he stepped in and redrew it. <laughs> <laughs> So that it was like this elegant, beautiful uh, action comic was still hmm. the same premise. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, this this uh, first season was directed by Shingo Natsume, who is uh, the key animator from uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. And hmm. also they pulled a lot of new talent, including a lot of people who made their name on the Internet. So okay. explains like like this really made a splash in terms of its really flashy animation it's incredible action scenes because, you know, it's all new stuff. Yeah. New blood. Um, now, I, I, 
I've watched the entire first season. I think the first half is really good, and then it kind of dives off a little bit because you run into a problem that Saitama is not... It's not that interesting to write stories about him necessarily, right? Right. So they end up delving more into other superheroes. Hmm. Um, and I understand the second season is in general a disappointment because that uh, this was a tough act to follow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um... I do like that occasionally mm. you'll find some anime with a completely different visual style. Yeah. Um, like, there's one, I have no idea what this thing is, except that I just keep seeing clips of it pop up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, something called Pop Team Epic. Oh, yeah, yeah, I haven't checked it out. Where It's, it's, it's like these yeah. these weird little, like, oval-shaped schoolgirls. One of them has a really long head, and they have, like, big round eyes and, like, the three-shaped anime cat mouths. Sure, and masculine voices. Yeah, and I don't mm. know what it is, but it always catches my attention when I see an anime like this that looks different. And well, it's on Netflix. It's not that inaccessible. Oh, I did not know that. I should... And actually, maybe I did now that I think of it. Um, you know that B- Bill Burr, you know that comedian? Yes. He's voiced an affection for One Punch Man. Oh, huh. He had a whole, whole podcasting. It was hilarious. He's where he was reacting to people reacting to him saying he liked One Punch Man, <laughs> where they complained like, oh, no, he likes anime. <laughs> so he was like, like, I never knew anime was so bad. What is it like emo for cartoons? <laughs> but he was he was totally into the whole. Like, he was in deep on the philosophy of all the characters, you know? Like, mm. so I see this one guy, he ate so much crab, he's just like these soulless rich people who are just shoveling it in their mouths, whatever it is, you know? And <laughs> so they can't feel anything anymore. And yeah, he's, he's like down with everything, with each character. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I recommend watching some more of it. It's, it's, it's well, like I said, it's, like it's like, kind of like The Tick. Funny superhero I, crud. I might just do that because you kind of think, like... Where can it possibly go? Mm. Like, you think about, you know, everybody always talks about, oh, Superman, they have to make up weaknesses for him. You know, they everybody has to have kryptonite or he has to have some kind of conundrum. It's like One Punch Man has no weakness that I've seen. It's like literally unstoppable. So what do you do? And I'm curious about what they do. I guess the weaknesses in other characters that they're not Saitama, right? So (laughs) they could die, maybe. Saitama... The, the character's name is never actually mentioned in this episode that I saw. So. Yeah, I don't think anyone actually calls him One Punch Man. So I don't remember he, if anybody does. So he's, he's Saitama. Yeah, he kind of flies under the radar, which is funny. That everybody <laughs> thinks he's just like a nobody. <laughs> Even <laughs> yeah. though he ends up killing the enemy every time. Yeah, and he's always... Every time I've seen him, like, you know, he's in the shopping... In the grocery store or whatever, and he's still in his superhero outfit... Right. Gloves and tights and cape and stuff. And it's it is funny to see him like, you know, there's this earthquake going on at the footsteps of this this monster and everyone's like panicking. But he's just like looking through his purse for the extra 82 cents that he needs to make exact change. Like or not cents, yen, which is basically cents. But yes. Um, So, yeah, I am curious to see how they make a story. Obviously, they do make a story out of it. And I'm curious to see how they do it. So, uh, yeah, perhaps I will check out some more um hmm well i guess 
<laughs> Speaking of things, the Flintstones. Right. We can go from the novel to the uh, retro. Maybe yeah. it's new to you. The Flintstones. We're looking at an episode called Little Bam Bam, written by Warren Foster, 1963. Um, so if you don't know, The Flintstones is the first animated primetime television show. It started in 1960, ran until 1966. Think of it like, what if The Simpsons, but 30 years earlier? Also, over 10,000 years earlier. Yeah. You see, they're the modern Stone Age family. And even though they're supposed to be prehistoric, they basically live with all the comforts of the 50s, but everything is made out of stone or powered by animals. Yeah. And uh, speaking of animals, humans coexist with critters from all periods, including mammoths, smilodons, and even dinosaurs. Uh, Fred Flintstone, the main character, operates a dinosaur as a heavy work vehicle at a stone quarry in the town of Bedrock. Twitch, twitch. Um, <laughs> He's a schlubby loudmouth who, though often selfish, is really a good guy at heart. His wife, Wilma, is a dutiful homemaker, but often is more of a disciplining mother figure to Fred. Yeah. Uh, their neighbors are also their best friends. Barney Rubble is a goof, and his wife, Betty, is uh, another Wilma, I guess. She's so uh, unimportant that her voice actress is not even credited. Oh, is it in the show? <laughs> Not even like it's like it has, you know, Alan Reed or whatever as yeah, yeah. Fred and whatever her name is, Jean something as yeah. Wilma, Mel Blanc as Barney Rubble, also featuring Don Messick and Hal something. And it's like, Ralph, oh, there's no Betty. <laughs> huh? Well, uh, OK, so at this point in the series, Fred and Wilma have had a cloyingly cute baby girl named Pebbles. Yeah, shocking at the time, I think, to display a pregnant uh, animated woman. <laughs> like it was, yeah. I think that was kind of a big deal in the 60s. Like, oh my God, they actually drew her pregnant. Oh, I was, this came out just recently about about a show, the, the, the first show that really addressed the idea that Babies came from pregnant women. <laughs> I think it might have um, been I Love Lucy. Was it? Hmm. I think so, because I think I think Lucille Ball may have actually been pregnant. Oh, um, and she had the clout to say, like, no, we're doing this. OK, Yeah, because I mean, that was a time when, you know, and on the rare occasion you saw Lucy and uh, Ricky's bedroom, they had the, the double beds like they didn't even sleep in the same bed. Yeah. So it was for this like for the sitcom to actually show a woman with child, like, <gasps> how dare they? Well, funny, they do it a little backwards, because in this episode, we're going to get the more traditional way of seeing a baby, uh, little Bam Bam here. So, uh, before the opening credits, we get a little gag. It's unrelated to the show, basically. Uh, Fred can't stop laughing at the goofy family dog, which is to say dinosaur, being unable to get the giant bone in his mouth through the front door. We've all seen it, dogs being able to figure out how to get to a, uh, a big stick through a door. Yeah. And, and then the credits. And, uh, you know, looking at them again, it's pretty sweet, I think, that the Flintstones take their pets to the drive-in movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> they need a high chair for pebbles, it turns out. Right. Um, okay, so the episode proper. Fred is finishing his supper, just smacking his lips all over a giant bone that maybe he gives to Dino later. <laughs> um, 
Pebbles refuses to eat her cactus mush when Wilma offers it. Some things sound funny when you say them aloud. <laughs> um, so Fred takes over. When he takes a bite to convince his daughter to try it, he finds it to his liking and eats the whole bowl. Oh, that Homer. I mean, Fred. Yeah, I was worried so, about Pebbles at this point. It's like, she didn't get to eat anything. All right. <laughs> well, serves her right for rejecting it. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe just off camera and completely, you know, maybe they're not, they're not quite progressive enough that they can imply breastfeeding yet. Yeah, there's a fade to black anyway for this next scene. Yeah. So Barney and Betty plan to go to their neighbors to vicariously enjoy their baby. But Fred has had enough. They've been over every night. Also, he's a little jealous that Barney's cartoonish antics are so loved by Pebbles. Well, he pushes Barney out the front door, and he tells Betty to scram too. Seeing the way he acts fills Wilma with shame, and she dresses him down, his head sinking to his collar with every admonishment. Hmm. He realizes that he's been blessed, so he goes next door to apologize. The Rubbles realize that they've been in imposition and accept the apology. And after Fred leaves, Betty and Barney make a wish together on a falling star. It's like, uh, <laughs> you know how you hear about, like, countries with poor sex education? <laughs> and, and you know, like, a married couple will say, like, well, we, we've been married a year. Why don't we have a baby? And <laughs> they've never had sex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Personally, I blame Barney's narrow urethra. Oh, boy. <laughs> been watching uh, the next too morning. much King of the Hill. Yes, yes, any amount is too much King of the Hill. Um, the next morning, their wish arrives at the front stoop. In a tortoiseshell basket is a little baby boy. Barney immediately accepts this as his baby, as promised by the falling star. At first, Betty resists for reasons of propriety until she reads a note from the basket that Bam Bam is an orphan and entrusted to them and the friendly environments of Bedrock. Great, he's their son now, but he's no ordinary boy. He displays super strength, and he slams Barney back and forth by a brutal grip on his finger. I think I know the sad truth about how this kid became an orphan. <laughs> um, when Fred impatiently calls for Barney to go with him to work, that goof casually mentions that he's running late because of the baby. A man of few questions, Fred is happy for him and declares that they're taking the day off to celebrate. Wilma comes to the do uh, next door, and she's also incredibly open to the idea that her friends suddenly have a child. Yeah. Bam Bam's super strength is re-emphasized when Barney sets up Fred to get the same Bam Bam slamming. Despite his horrific strength, Bam Bam is introduced to Pebbles to see if they'll bond, and luckily they do. In fact, when they wander outside to play, Bam Bam protects Pebbles from the next-door neighbor's saber-toothed cat. I don't think these are the uh, these neighbors are the gruesomes yet. <laughs> they wouldn't have such an everyday sort of pet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, speaking of the Adams family. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so, the group, that is to say, the Flintstones and Rubbles, later meet at the Child Welfare Authority building. Much, much later, because Barney has to drive slowly because of... Betty's motherly overprotectiveness. Hmm. The Rubbles put in their application, but Bam Bam becomes ward of the state until a background check can be run. When the orderly takes Bam Bam, Barney sets him up to get a savage beating by the super strong boy. What a dick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, this background check will just be a formality, right? Just in case, Barney hires an old lady so that he can help her across the street, back and forth, all day. Unfortunately, their application is denied. They hurry to the Child Welfare Authority to complain, and it's explained to them that a prior application was made by a member of the millionaire Stonyfeller family. Yeah. At Wilma's urging, the rebels hire attorney Bronto Berger to battle for custody in court. The judge is a Stonyfeller too, and that could be a conflict of interest, but due to sibling rivalry, it looks like it'll actually be a conflict in Barney and Betty's favor. What's not good is that the opposing lawyer is Perry Masonary. He's just like Perry Mason and has similar theme music. <laughs> he proves that Stonyfeller, the defendant, not the judge, would be a stable father, and that Barney would be an unreliable goof. Like, he makes him jump around on the witness stand like a monkey. So they lose the custody battle. Until Stonyfeller gets a call on his phone from his wife, who, it turns out, is going to have a baby. Well, he has no need for Bam Bam now. So Perry Masonry uh, awards Bam Bam to the Rubbles. So, you know, for all that setup of the show that made them go through all the official channels, paperwork and checks, just at the end, the opposing lawyer decides, okay, this is your baby now. Yeah. <laughs> so Barney doesn't hear the news. You see, he's already taken off despondently to end it all at a bridge. <laughs> Fred races to give the good news and stop his friend from taking the most drastic step. Barney's kind of a moron, though, so he hasn't actually tied the rock to himself. Yeah. <laughs> Fred took hold of the rope and is pulled off the bridge when Barney casually tosses the rock off. But luckily, Barney is doubly moronic since that stream isn't even deep enough to come up past Fred's midsection when he's sitting down. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all's well that ends well. Bam Bam is officially a rubble. Hooray. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a while since I watched the Flintstones. Me too. You know, I always think this is going to be better than I, than it is. <laughs> there have been there have been a handful of times where I've been looking for an episode to give you at the end of the show, and I think like the Flintstones. This is a good one, and I watch it and go, that wasn't a good one. <laughs> <laughs> this is okay though. Yeah. Um, in some ways, it's not very Flintstoney because like there's very few distinctly Neolithic animals in this episode. Yeah. Even when it comes to naming animals, they just say horse, monkey, and so on. Yeah, that's true. Although there is an instance of some kind of a pterodactyl thing crowing like a rooster. And yeah. then it, it says that it can't wait until roosters develop. <laughs> it's very good foresight on that bird. Uh, yeah. There's another There's another bird that's used as can opener as well. Yep. Um, Neither of them say that. It's a living. I was going to say cliche. that. We didn't get to hear the catchphrase of the Simpson, uh, of, of the Flintstones. <laughs> the the Simpsons, uh, whatever this one is. Um, yeah. Now, the Flintstones, at least Fred and Barney, are supposed to be based off of the uh, characters from the Honeymooners. Yeah. What's strange to me is you always hear people talking about how great the Honeymooners was. It was on for one season. <laughs> I well, guess that was big back in the day. Well, I mean, it was the one step in Jackie Gleason's career. Like, I guess. You know, like he was a pretty famous man. I guess. 
Simpsons was on for six years, though. Although Simpsons. Simpsons? Sim <laughs> the Flintstones. I said. I said the Flintstones. <laughs> no, I'm you sure said I said the Flintstones. You said the Simpsons, and I was like, "Where are you going with this?" Because it wasn't six years. No, in fact, when you put it in that perspective, the Flintstones ain't schnit. Nah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> it's funny to me. I I recognize this as a kid, but you know, it follows me now too. Uh, the cell painting issues on this on the Flintstones, um, that the number of instance, instances where they haven't fully painted the cell or it was dirty, you know, or <laughs> so like most often I think it's just, they haven't fully painted it. So you can see the background coming through. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, the limited animation. So, you know, Hanna-Barbera's typical thing of giving people collars so they can have a clean break to animate the heads. Yeah, and, As, and the men generally have some stubble so they can just animate that section of their face when they're talking. Sure, but I've mentioned before, like, cell depth. When you have one cell on top of the other, mm, it darkens yeah. the one underneath. Right. So it really stuck to me how dark uh, Wilma and Betty's bodies are. <laughs> 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 their heads are like the, 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 the vibrant coat of paint, but then, yeah, the one underneath is dimmed by having one cell on top of it. Hmm. Um, anyway, um... I guess we can talk about some of these voices. Uh, Perry Masonary uh, is voiced by Don Messick. Mm. You know, Scooby-Doo and Papa Smurf. Yeah, I was... The the judge is also Don Messick. And yeah. I was going insane trying to remember where I knew that voice from. Like, because it's, <laughs> so, it's so, so obvious, but at the same time, I couldn't place it. I was like, who? What? Ah! And... Finally, when I looked at the credits, like I looked back at the credits to see, wait, did they not, did they not point out Betty? Then I saw Don Messick and I went, oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. Run one sound filter on him and you get Papa Smurf. Yeah. Um, Gene Vanderpile is Wilma mm -hmm. and Rosie in the Jetsons. Oh, what do you know? And you know, Mel Blanc is Barney and Dino and everything. Yeah. Mel Blanc. Mel Blanc is great. Sure. He's a good Barney. Um, so this was okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Flintstones is an iconic show. Um, yeah. Your mileage may vary. At the time, it was quite clever. Um, but all these jokes, people have made jokes about the jokes that the Flintstones made at this point. So what are you going to do? But it's all right. Yep. Nothing wrong with the Simpsons. <laughs> or the Flintstones. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> so let's let's get this over with so we can watch some of the Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. Um we'll we'll do shorts next time. Um holiday e festive things. Um I'm I was thinking, boy, I really shot too early with those penguin cartoons, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Um so I went looking for some other wintry cartoons and I found two hot ones from the National Film Board of Canada. Okay. Yeah. Um, one that I've mentioned before, Special Delivery. All right. And one that I've probably mentioned before, but everybody knows, simply titled The Sweater. I figured. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right, Matsy. Uh, I've recommended a bunch of good Popeye cartoons to you. Well, two mm -hmm. anyway, I think. Yeah. Um, 
Here's one that's not so good. Well, maybe <laughs> keep an open mind. Okay. It's, it's Spinach Greetings. That's a lazy title. Sure is. The other one um, is The Story of the Faithful Wookiee. Oh, boy. You know what that is? I have a suspicion that this is the animated segment from the Star Wars Christmas special. You are correct, sir. Ooh, boy. Now, if it's not, if it doesn't have enough Christmas in it for your liking or life day, then you could watch the rest of the Star Wars special, but I would not recommend it. Well, it's something I've never done. It kind of of feels like something that maybe I should do at some point. Maybe this is the um, (laughs) the excuse I need, Uh, you know, see the other end of uh, Mark Hamill's career. Oh, which reminds me, just to get out in front of it before I come back next week and say that I forgot it. Yes, Weird Al Yankovic did a song about the Flintstones. Mm, um, It's a parody of Red Hot Chili Peppers' Give It Away titled Bedrock Anthem. All right. Uh, has the uh, hot chorus. Yabba dabba, yabba dabba, dabba do now. Yabba dabba, yabba dabba, hmm. dabba do now. Yeah, it's it's actually a pretty good song. Okay. So, yeah, uh, tell us about Weird Al Yankovic on Twitter. Uh, hmm. Or, you know, what kind of things you've got your advent calendars, right? What have you been getting? Bad chocolate? Lego pieces that mean nothing? Uh, maybe Playmobil? Like a construction site or something? I don't know. Mm. Tell me all about it. I'm on Twitter, at ACMatsy. And I'm on that cursed platform, too. I'm at DrabSwatch. Now, a little advice for uh, dealing with demons. You gotta worry about their resistances. For example, they take half damage from cold, half damage from electricity, half from fire, dragon, comma, uh, magical, half from gas, even. But you know what does work against them? Cold iron weapons and the Celery Stalker's slogan. Betty and the Bernie got a baby named a Bam Bam. Little Pebbles is his number one fan. He's a strongest title 